0: On my heart is this desire to talk about a passion for the church um which god rekindles from time to time mick could you get that probably oh i don't know might be one between two sorry if you're friendly with the person next to you share one and if not pass it well no no pass it on (laughs) that sounds dodgy doesn't it i was amused the other day i read this one day a six-year-old girl was sitting in a classroom the teacher was going to explain evolution to the children The teacher asked a little boy if he could see the grass outside. Yes, teacher, I can see the grass. The boy's name was Tommy. So the teacher said, Tommy, go outside and look up and see if you can see the sky. He returned in a few minutes and said, yes, I saw the sky. The teacher asked, did you see God? No, teacher, I didn't see God. The teacher said, well, class, that is my point. We cannot see God because he isn't there. A little girl spoke up and wanted to know if she could ask the boy some questions. The teacher agreed, and the little girl asked, Tommy, do you see the tree outside? He responded, yes, I see the tree. She asked, do you see the grass? He said, yes, I see the grass. Do you see the sky? Yes. Do you see the teacher? Thomas said, yes. And his voice tone indicated he was tired of answering questions. The little girl finally asked, do you see the teacher's brain? Tommy said, no, I don't see her brain. The little girl said, then according to what we were taught today, that means she must not have one. (laughs) (laughs) We walk by faith, not by sight. I I thought it was rather good. Did laugh. Okay. (laughs) Um, It must have been quite nerve wracking. Jesus turns up and all the crowds are there. And the disciples here. And he's not getting good press with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Uh, but the people love him. And he goes into the temple and he causes mayhem. I mean, he goes to the temple and he sees these uh, <laughs> average people. These people just want money. What they were doing is they were fiddling. Now, when you're a Jew and you wanted to bring a sacrifice, a bird or an animal or a lamb, you had to go to the temple and buy one, but you had to exchange your normal money with temple money. Isn't it dodgy? And they were charging exorbitant prices, so you weren't getting a good exchange rate. In fact, it was wicked really. And Jesus sees this and he's furious and he goes in there and he starts turning the tables over and he gets a whip and get out. Now, he doesn't whip anybody, but everybody's running like mad. Can you imagine there's coins rolling all over the floor? Uh, and there's, there's a temple guard who were there as bouncers to make sure everybody behaved, but they don't mess with Jesus. Now, when God is angry, it's not sinful. It's a righteous anger on something that's unjust or unfair. And when Jesus is angry, you don't mess with him, do you? Can you imagine what judgment day is going to be like for those who have ignored him? Oh, frightening! And so he goes in and he throws these uh, these tables over, and they're all running for it. And he said, "This is my father's house. It shall be a house of prayer for the common, ordinary people to know God." Let's just read it, shall we? It's in your notes. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. It must have been mayhem, mustn't it? All these animals going all over the place. And he poured out the coins, wow, of the money changers and overturned their tables. There's money going all over the place. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written in the Old Testament, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And other what authority have you got for doing such things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days. (laughs) But notice he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead later, his disciples remembered that he said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. See how passionate he is for God's house and for God's people to gather together. He's passionate about Weymouth Family Church. Do you know that? He's passionate about this. Because he planted you and you've been good, healthy seasons, tough seasons. You've been pruned back and there's growth coming again because he's tending you like a glorious plant. What a man this Jesus is. Such bravery. He's more determined for the honor of God's name than worrying about what other people would say and think. Notice, by the way, uh, that in verse, where is it? Verse 9, uh, verse 21. He talks about himself being the temple. You see, His death and his resurrection would make any animal sacrifices obsolete. No longer would you have to come and bring a lamb and and have it sacrificed. No, he was going to be the lamb of God that takes away the whole sin of the whole world. By the way, can you see the grace even in the Old Testament? There's the Jew, very sinful, knows he's mucked up. He comes and he brings a lamb to the priest. And the lamb is there. And what does the priest do? The priest doesn't look at him and say, have you been a good boy this week? <laughs> have you read your Bible? Have you loved people? Have you, have you been naughty? He didn't ask anything about the man. What would he look at? The lamb. He would look at the lamb. Is the lamb good enough? Is the lamb pure and clean? Any mangy bits? The teeth are right. And he, and he flees on it. Because that won't be acceptable. But if the lamb is good and perfect, he will ask the Jew to lay his hand on the head of the lamb and say, this is going to be a sacrifice on your behalf. It will be an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And you take the lamb and he will sacrifice the lamb. A wrong had been committed in the universe. Therefore, there was a suffering and a penalty had to be paid. And it was paid out on that poor lamb. Not the lamb knew much about it. But in that process, the man will be forgiven. The lamb was perfect. Therefore, the sacrifice atoned for his sin. Wonderful. Can I ask, do you think Jesus was perfect enough? What, what sacrifice are you bringing? You don't bring a lamb. You can't even bring your sacrifice. Oh, well, I've been very good this week. I've, I've gone without that. I've gone without that. No, no, no. You say, Lord, you've provided the sacrifice and it's Jesus' death on the cross. Wow. Lord, that's my sacrifice. I'm putting my faith and trust in that. And God says, I forgive you. Isn't that wonderful? So Jesus coming, he was going to come and make all sacrifices obsolete. In fact, he was causing so much trouble. You see, if you look in the next page, you want to read it too. He was determined to build a house, not made of bricks of stone, but a spiritual temple made up of people like you and I, who come spiritually alive when the Holy Spirit comes into us. When we put our faith in Jesus, we're born again. That's the kind of house he's built. Now, he came and he would say this. It's written, da-da-da-da, but I say to you, wow. Instead of saying to the leper, go to the temple and be cleansed, he said, come and I'll heal you. Wow. He said to somebody, I'll forgive your sins. What do you mean forgive your sins? How can you forgive sins? Surely this should go to the temple with a sacrifice. As you, as you read through that, those notes for you to read at your own leisure, and I hope you can read, read those, that's a bonus of doing notes for you. you find that he began to, to, to say, look, I am the one. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Not the temple. Not going to church on a Sunday, first of all. Not, not on a Saturday, it was in those days. No, he was saying, I am the temple of God now. <laughs> Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden i'll give you rest is anyone thirsty come to me and drink the holy spirit that's who he's talking about there and he kept saying i am this i am the way i am that's the name one of the names of god yahweh i am who i am i am the bread of life i am the god who heals you i am the resurrection and the life <laughs> At one time, if you look on page two, Jesus left the temple, Matthew 24, in in italics and black. Jesus left and was going away when his disciples came to the point to point to him. The buildings of the temple said, wow, look, aren't they magnificent? But he answered them, do you see all these? Do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And in 70 AD, the Roman uh, emperor came in and destroyed the temple and it was rubbled from there on. Now, the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was to end all temple worship. And that big, thick temple uh, curtain that hung from the roof higher than this, sick, about four inches thick. Can you imagine how heavy that was? It, it blocked out... The priest's access into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of Covenant was, where the power of God was. And when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was ripped from top to bottom. In other words, by God <laughs> and saying no longer do I need religious form, religious robes, anything that's, that smacks of religiosity and earning." No more is that that by God, I'll forgive you. Glorious, isn't it? Wonderful. I don't care how good or bad you are. God has provided. He's ripped that, that curtain. Jesus has died and made a way for you to come in and to know God and be forgiven. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, this new house of God, this new temple that he was going to start to build, it would not be built with bricks of stone, but with the lives of ordinary people filled with God's spirit. And always in the Old Testament, right through, God wanted a people. He's not wanted individuals, although he loves individuals. He wants them to be together. He's always wanted to have a, a kingdom. A people. That's why when he comes to Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you a great people. And I'm going to put you in a country, a promised land, where I can display my kingdom through those people. Do you understand? It wasn't just individuals, individual kingdom, no, I want, that's the whole point of the promised land was to bring them to a place where he could be the king and they could together show this great God to the world. And therefore he's always wanted a people. That's why he wants daughters to family church. He didn't want individual lone rangers. And, because he's had an amazing impact. When he came, this impact on the people of Israel. Who is he? What's going on? People being healed, set free? Who is this marvelous man? So one day he says to his disciples, who do people say I am? Well, you're Elijah that's raised back from the dead, or you're John the Baptist. He said, yeah, okay, okay. But who do you say I am? Important question, by the way, for you today. Who do you say Jesus is? If you think he's a prophet, that's all you get. You think he's a great teacher? Well, a load of teaching. But if you realise he's your saviour, and he's the Lord God, and he's the Messiah, it'll change you forever. Do you understand that? Who do you say are? And Peter gets it. The Holy Spirit opens his eyes. God says, well, I'm going to get Peter to get the message. And Peter says, yeah, yeah, no, no. You're the Messiah. You're the son of God. Come to save the world. It's in your notes there. Now Jesus is thrilled at that. But it's interesting. He'd never spoken about dying and rising again until the disciples twigged, got the idea, oh, he's the Messiah. And it says in your scripture, if you look in the page three, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So he began to talk about his mission he was going to die for the world, for the sins of the world, and he's going to rise again to show he had victory over death and sin. And in all that wonderful gospel message, that was going to be proclaimed to the world because God didn't want to change politicians. He didn't want to change governments. He wanted to change men's hearts. Don't you realize that? He wants to change your heart today. Do you understand? He's not worried about governments. He's not worried about politics, You're not worried about sorting everything out. That's why you think, well, how does God put up with this? Because in all sorts of places, he's just changing hearts. Do you know where the fastest-growing church is at the moment? It's Iran. There are hundreds of thousands coming to Christ. It's a Muslim country that at one time it was a small little church. He's just changing hearts. People, say, and, then, and then they're gathering together. He loves to change hearts. <laughs> and he says, he says this. Okay, Jesus, what's your mission? You're going to die and rise again. Yeah. Okay. Says Peter, you're the Christ, the son of God. What's the mission? And there it is, bottom page three. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades will not overcome it. Was that it? it? Is that it? Is that the mission? Isn't it kind of get into government and do? No, no, I'm going to build my church. See, a church is made of, st- not made of static bricks, but it's made of people whose hearts are being changed, who've come to know Jesus. The word church means ecclesia. It's a Greek word. And it means summoned out to purpose, called away out from something To a purpose. Sometimes it's used like bringing a a, a town meeting together. You know, Ecclesia, come away from your jobs and what you're doing for a minute. We've got a meeting. I will build my church. Jesus is calling people out from society, from all different walks of life. Rich, poor, colour, race, doesn't matter. Muslim, whatever. Bring them together. Saved. Bringing together to build his church in different localities different localities there's one universal church and in the moment at the moment i expect around here there are several ecclesias several churches distinguished by shepherds who oversee them or elders those or vicars whatever you want to call them who are caring for those churches helping them grow out where they are but each is the church of christ each is valuable to jesus you see and um, Jesus i i'm the one that's going to build this i will because he hadn't died when he said this and again. I will now a building, I will build sorts of something that you can see. It talks of, of kind of foundations, it talks of shape. So it's not like the Christian say, Oh, we're all just Christians. We're we're all working Tesco, so we're the church. No, that's not the church. The church is a a, a, a group of Christians who come together under godly eldership, as you'll see from Titus and Acts sixteen. Again, they weren't happy until they built in and brought in elders, which you're doing on Wednesday again, or just reminding us of eldership. Uh, Paul said to Titus, I'm going off, but you carry on building the church here and, and do what I've left unfinished. M- yeah, put in elders, put in elders, he says, Titus one 6 let Let's get those churches working together under good shepherds who love me, et cetera. And Peter, in your notes, (laughs) he says, you're like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, acceptable God. I will build my church. This is Jesus' church. Dorchester, DFC, belongs to Jesus, doesn't it? Doesn't belong to Mick and Steve. They are serving a wonderful risen Lord because he loves his church. (laughs) Weymouth, sorry. Uh, It just rolls off all the time. Sorry about that. Uh, building anyway, You're not building a door. Sorry. No. Covertly behind my back. Ah, help me. <laughs> sorry, I'm going off on one. Um, but Jesus, see, if he was passionate about that old temple, which he superseded with his body, and now he's building a new temple, his church, he's building it. Can you see how passionate he is? So the question I'm challenging you today is, are you passionate about Weymouth Family Church? Are you passionate about your local church? Because see, Jesus is, (laughs) but are you? (laughs) Jesus rose from the dead. How do you think he would have paraded it? Wouldn't he? Wouldn't you think he'd get it on the news? He'd get into the Jerusalem, say hi everyone. No, he starts to meet a couple of women. He then meets with his disciples. One time he meets with five hundred. One famous time. The disciples think, what are we going to do? Let's go fishing. So they go fishing all night because that's what Pete and John uh, and James were, fishermen. And they go all night. And just like some of you with your fishing rods, got nothing. Okay. What a waste of time. They are shattered. And it's getting dawn. And as they're kind of bobbling our toes, we better go back. Someone on the shoreline says, hey, stick your nets on the other side of the boat. Now, what a joke, isn't it? Look, it is, but, you know, I don't know how wide a boat is. Oh, it was it 20 foot? 15 foot? I don't know how big these boats were. But I put my net down there all night. Why should just sticking it there do anything? And who does he think it is? Because they do that. And, wow, Peter and Andrew get so much on their boat. John, Jack, get over here. So James, and they're all sinking. Now, Peter in the midst of this thinks, this has happened before. I know who that is. So he says, cheers then, he jumps over the board, he goes ashore, and leaving them trying to put all the stuff in. Don't you think what blighter he is, eh? If I was Andrew or Jan, hey, where are you going? But he jumps over, he wants to see Jesus. Now, he's nervous, because he goofed it up, he swore, effed him blind, I don't know who he is, when Jesus was arrested. And that was just to a slave girl. And he, and he, and he cried and wept. Because he was a man's man. What am I doing? It was so scared. And the cop went. Oh, no. And so he's a bit nervous. So he comes forward. And Jesus is putting a barbecue on. Don't you think it's a great. Where's the ketchup? You know. We get so spiritual, don't we? It's, Jesus is getting a barbie, you know. It was a, oh, right, breakfast is being cooked. We're starving. We've been working all night. And uh, cut a cutlery story short, of course. Jesus has some time with him. And he says, do you you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Hmm, okay. If you do, feed my sheep. Oh, by the way, Peter, do you love me? (laughs) Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Well, take care of my lamb. Oh, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know everything, he says. You know I love you. He said, right, feed my sheep. Why did he ask him three times? Did he love him? Because he denied him three times. When you look at the Greek, he actually said, do you love me sacrificially? And Peter said, I love you as a friend, feed my sheep. Do you love me sacrificially? Oh, I love you like a friend, dear friend. Take care of my lambs. Then Jesus says, do you love me as a dear friend? He brings the bar down. So Peter has a, a realization. I know, I want to say I sacrificially love you, but I've goofed, I mucked it up before. And then Jesus talks about the time when he will actually sacrificially love And die for Jesus. We think upside down on a cross. But notice the response of Jesus. Now if I ask you. Do you love Jesus? And you say yes. What's he saying to you? Do you love. Weymouth Family Church. Do you love. The members. Of the family church. If you love me. You will love the lambs, the ones that are growing and been through difficult times. You will take care of those. You will feed. In other words, speak out lovely God's word to those who are members of the church here. You see, if you love someone, you'll want to please them, won't you? Yes? If not, you don't love them. You might lust after them. But love is actually sacrificial. Love is laying your life down for someone. And if you love Jesus, you will then learn to love his church. If you profess love for Jesus. So those questions are at the bottom, I think, page five, I think. Do you have zeal for his house, the church? If you do, how is your love and care for the family church expressed practically? If you say you love Jesus, then he's challenging you. you say, okay, express it. Show me by the way you love your church and then you say well what am i doing to practically express my love for jesus by my way i care for the church i think it's great to do uh, this this family week sounds great great fun great idea you know because you're in your connect groups your small groups but this gets you outside those some at times and i you know both are very important aren't they but it's giving you opportunity and so it is the practical love that's being expressed here. Someone making a meal for someone, someone encouraging, someone giving a lift from someone, someone forgiving another person. I like this quote from Terry Virgo, which is coming from Revelation 2 and 3. Do you know this? It's not an off or an off watch. It's like an off church. In Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus goes amongst seven lampstands. And there are seven individual churches in what we call Turkey now. Asia Minor it was, okay? So Jesus is walking amongst these candlesticks. What he's doing, he's coming to Dorchester Family Church, he's coming to Weymouth Family Church, he's coming to St. John's, and he's just looking at the church. He's just looking at them. And he's giving an assessment of them. wonder what his assessment would be of Dorchester, where I am. Oh, dear. We're doing it humbly and we know we're not perfect, but we are trying to listen to him and ask, you know, to do what he wants us to do. This, this is Terry's comment about that passage. He says this. We tend to think that although Christ loves the worldwide church, local churches have no special place in his affection. But the book of Revelation shows Jesus not as one vaguely in the midst of the church, but walking among the individual lampstands. He knows each local church intimately. He commends one. He warns the other, another. He notes steadfastness here and apathy there. Each is an open book to him. His longing for a bride is seen in his concern and ambition for each congregation. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. She is his special delight in all the universe. She is his joy, his preoccupation, his passion, his darling bride. In all creation, one thing fills the heart of Christ, his beloved church. We need to rediscover the incredible value and significance of the local church in God's plan and perspective. She's not to be ignored and despised. She is to be honored and cherished. Each lampstand is not plastic, but golden of peerless worth to Christ. Our local churches are precious to Jesus. Uh, Weymouth Family Church is precious to Jesus, might be scorned by the world, but it's special to God here. And and your place in it is vital. Wow. The role you play, it, play in it. How you play your part here will either make this church boring and irrelevant or it will make it exciting and real. I want a genuine church, don't you? With genuine people who are... Doing their best to build each other up and strengthen each other. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2, you know, don't, you're not longer for, you're no longer foreigners and aliens. No, no. He says here, you're citizen with God's people. Then further down, in Him, the whole building is joined together, rises to become a, a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, He says this: You too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. What he's saying in that passage is not just individuals that become like temples of the Holy Spirit, but you together become a glorious building. Wow. (laughs) Jesus was the living stone. We now like living stones are being built into a holy temple. What's the difference between a brick and a stone? Brick is man-made. What else could you say about a brick? Square or rectangle? Yeah, it's it's very uniform, boring. Yeah, it's we've gone same wherever you go, they're all the same. What's a stone? Odd shapes. Okay. Now Peter saying we are like living stones. Now the problem is we're not just stones; we're living stones. What else? Could could you do come out for me, please, husband and wife? Sorry, Karen, just to embarrass you, keep you awake. Could you stand here? Now, if this living stone, oh, yeah. let's put that there, there, that's good. Uh, in fact, bend that way a bit, right. Now, you want to get next to him, you've got to go, got to go up, down a bit, down a bit, oh, that's all right. And then you've got that up there, about there. I then have to kind of, oh, hello. Now, just move a little bit, Trevor, just move a little bit. Oh, now, what happens to you? You've got to move. Oh, I've got to move. So, living stones are living, so they're not just irregular, they keep changing. So this is the problem with church. It doesn't stay the same, does it? Things keep changing. Elders, people, circumstances. And therefore, we need to be open to the Holy Spirit to change ourselves. You see, if I want to live in harmony and I want Jesus honored, there's bits in me That stick out that aren't good. I've got some edges on my character. Have you noticed? Have you? (laughs) Just ask the wife. And how is God going to change me to make me like Jesus? You better go quick. (laughs) How is God going to change me? How is God going to change me from being this kind of person? I don't. I suddenly meet someone who that causes an aggro with, and I think actually, in humility, perhaps, Lord God, help me be more patient. Or God, help me be more kind. And so I suddenly have to change. Paul also talks about it in harmony. Give me a note, Jane. Mm. Uh, ooh, do another one. Same note, same note, same note. Mm, same same note. note. Same note. Mm. Ooh. Now, I've had to adjust my note to harmonize with you. Do another one. Mm. Ah, <laughs> no, no, that's right. So that's how a lot of us can be. We, I, I, I'm like this. I watch jesus said look you've received grace i want you to learn to love one another and we'll look at this we're we'll coming near the end keep stick with me i know this is quite deep or anyway um god wants us to harmonize that's harmonize, i've got to start changing my note to accommodate that but why should i change well you don't have to but if you want to bless someone and you want the glory of jesus to come through in that note <laughs> you need to change and, and part of our problem, look, let's read Tony Morton's comment. Uh, I don't know what page on, we're on there, page, that's got you, in it? Um, page eight, thank you, I, I didn't, isn't it typical, did it? I didn't put any numbers on my face? <laughs> this is what Tony Morton says. The Lord has chosen to live in this house while he carries on extending it. Have you ever lived in a building site? We once extended our house and the noise was unbelievable. The dust was everywhere. The mud was walked through the house on wet days. Altogether, a most inconvenient place to live. But it was worth it because we had a vision for the end product. Churches like that. So often it looks a mess and it is a mess. (laughs) But God has chosen to live in it while he extends it. He's prepared for the inconvenience, but are we? Some people are disillusioned with church. It's not what they hope for. Their expectation is for a ready-furnished, wimpy home in the spirit. Just walk in and relax. But that's not the way the Lord has chosen to build his house. Amen? Isn't that great? God puts up with me, so I'll put up with you. God is changing me. He's changing you. Sometimes it gets much worse before it gets better. Why? Why? Cause you don't know how much it needs to be dealt with. There are roots in some of our behavior that we are not aware of. And suddenly it all goes, but if we will honestly go to the root of prob, of what the root problem is, we get healed and delivered. And then things change, but we've got to be willing to go for that. Phil Moore's quote underneath that, our love for Jesus is not proved by how much we say, but by how much we love and serve the people in his church. Wow. If I said to you, Okay, let's look over this last month. How much have you practically loved and cared for people in the church? And that is how much you've loved Jesus this month. I think it would be a good reality check. And some of you would think, oh, I haven't done too bad. Some of you think, oh, could do with a bit more. Now, the early church grew by them being devoted together. Notice, even those who got saved, they were added right at the end of that look at the end of that passage in acts 2 it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bed and to prayer i'll be finished by 12 so stick with me okay i'll get there but this is important stuff i really want to get this into the church or reinforce what's already been put here notice they devoted themselves devoted means i put something of a higher value than other things if i'm devoted to something I do it more often than other things. If I'm devoted to something, some things have to be left aside so I can do that. When I started going out with Jane, my mate thought I was a right bore. Because I was devoted to getting the nerve. But they were devoted to the teaching. Notice the word, the fellowship. By the way, it's not just a fellowship. Oh, I'm devoted to fellowship. No, they talk, there's a, there's a Greek word is the fellowship. In other words, the coming together. That's why you go each week to your small group, don't you? You go to your small group, not for your sake. Why'd you go? Because you want to practically love Jesus by loving his church. Yes? Uh Oh, football match, right? I like football. So I've had to go and record them. And don't tell me how I score before I get home. But hear what I'm saying. See, there aren't such... In the Bible, you don't get people just going to church on a Sunday. That's not the church. You are the church and you happen to be meeting on a Sunday here. Yes. But the church is what goes on during the week. Not just coming to a meeting. You, these disciples were devoted to the fellowship. They got to their group. As I say to my folks, if you can't get to your group, don't text. Can't get there. Just say, I can't make it tonight. Why? Because those other people love your fellowship. They, they receive your help and encouragement. And you're not being there, they're going to miss you. Phil Moore's other quote down there, on the other side. Since you need other Christians, missing church is folly. Since us Christians need you, missing church is fraud." Why do I go to group? I'm sometimes shattered when I go to group. Oh, I could do put my feet up. I go, I find at the end of the evening I'm more awake when I started. Because I've gone there just to bless, to serve, to pray with, to encourage, to talk about the word. I'm there to build them up. It's not for me. I'm there to lay my life down, feed the sheep, care for the lambs. Amen? So you're all going to say, I'm going to be in my groups this week. You <laughs> should be each week. Why? Well, if you love Jesus. If you're just going for yourself, oh, I'll just go do a bit where I want, want to get from, I'll get from. Jesus says, you don't understand the first thing about Christianity. Christianity is you receive so you can give. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were hospitable. You're so hospitable coming in here, aren't you? If you're on welcome team, we're on the welcome team, aren't we? Yes. I say to my church, if anyone new comes, I want about 15 people to say hello to them. Not really that. But all of you are out for them. Why? Because Jesus loves these people. These are people who could come and get saved. Or they might be lambs trying to learn. Uh, so you come here on a Sunday and don't immediately say, oh, you say, hello, good to see you, but excuse me. Hello, who are you? You're very welcome here. I tell you, a welcome ministry, one of the most important ministries in the church. Because people make a decision within five minutes whether they come back again or not. They look around, can I come? Mm, don't know, uh, oh, they were very free. A number of people have said, yeah, we, we, we love the Yeah, When we first came, people said hello, and that person said hello, and that person remembered my name, and I came the next time. See how unselfish this is? Church isn't about you getting. It's about loving Jesus. And let's make it great for him. It's that loving Jesus. And I express I love you by laying my life down when I don't want to. But I do it sacrificially because I love you. I'm motivated not because I'm on that rotor and I've got to be there. I'm on that rotor because I know it's a discipline that helped me get there and do my bit for his His name's sake. Amen. They devoted themselves to other things. Now, at the bottom of page, I suppose it's nine, the one another in. Can you see that? Um, read that at home. These are commands for anybody who follows Jesus. He says, do these. Now, you can't do these just by coming to church on a Sunday. And you can't do these by never talking or being with your groups and your people or your friends. He's saying things. Look, spur one another to love and good works. When did you last do that? Encourage one another. Build each other up. Well, what about me? Stuff that. Build someone up and you'll find you'll get built up. That's the way it goes. Give and it'll be given to you. Principle. Teach and admonish one another. Be at peace with one another. See, you wouldn't have to say be at peace with one another unless you were in a group and somebody was driving you around the twist. There's silly humour. <laughs> oh, little crumbs. What well, is it, humour? So, it says, bear with one another. Look, the seventh one, bear with one another. They have to bear with me each week. Submit to one another. Serve one another. Be devoted to one another. Look at them all. Bang, bang, be kind. Be offer hospitality to one another. Are you doing that? Can you understand? This is what church is. This is what following Jesus. If I love Jesus, I'll be doing those kind of things. But I haven't got much. I don't care. You've got you. Go and encourage someone. Go and be careful. Take an interest. It's funny, isn't it? A really humble person. You'd never know they were humble. All you think was, oh, that lady, she asked how I was. She was interested in me. Oh, that's humility. Amazing what builds you up. Finally, (laughs) Um, you can read these at home and perhaps look at them. If you look at all the definitions that Jesus says about himself on page, the following page, talking about the church as a family. And I think you're working well at this. Um, can you see what page is that? You are members of God. Page ten at the bottom. We're nearly there, guys. You're doing really well. <laughs> it says this: the Lord added to their number daily. Notice this, when you become a Christian, you're added to the church. Not just become a Christian over there. No, you're added to the church. Jesus is building a church. Hallelujah. But he says this, you are members of God's very own family and you believe in God's household with every other Christian. See, uh, the church here is a family that I felt that. Didn't you, James, coming here? I feel you're a family. You're knowing one another. are getting to know each other. And a Christian that, that just comes on a Sunday and is not involved, is like a child without a family. It's like an orphan. Notice through Jesus, we're joined to one another. He says, I'm the good sh- shepherd. We are the sheep that join and following him? He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. So if he's really the vine, you're joined together with one another. He says, he's the chief cornerstone, and therefore you're being built on him. He's the head, you're parts of the body. All of it means to build together. It's never individual. And therefore I put down in your notes... a a disconnected christian someone that's not part notice that's how the enemy gets you when he wants to pick you off he gets you away away i'm too bad to go to church no you're too bad like me you need to get to church yeah that's why i go to church so i can be forgiven and loved and blessed a disconnected christian is like a football player without a team it's like a soldier without a regiment like a violin player without an orchestra A sheep without a flock, a child without a family, a dismembered organ off the body. So could be in hand unless you're joined to the arm and it's joined to the body and it's moving and doing stuff. So I put in your notes, don't miss out. Get involved. Play your part. Your local church with all its faults and problems is displaying something staggering to the hidden powers that watch on. Satan, the demons, the angels, look on at Dorchester Family Church and thought, we wanted that snuffed out. We wanted them gone. Weymouth Family Church, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Weymouth Family Church. We want it out. Wait, Dorchester went through a rough old time. You know, you go through these seasons, but you then see the quality. When you cut that plant quite deeply, you then see this vigorous growth that starts to happen. It's going to happen here. You realize that. You've been through time of pruning. God's going to start to make you flourish again. need to be aware of that. (laughs) He's pleased with what's going on. And the other reason why I'm so passionate about the church, is because I'm passionate about Jesus, but I know this, that everything in the universe, everything here in this uh, world we live in, is all being built up for a glorious climax of Jesus and his church. Look at that, the last page, really what's it all for? His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God shall be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. He's after Jesus. The whole thing is to build his church. The whole thing on this earth is moving towards the church being the bride of Christ. Or as Terry Virgo puts it, this, The church to which you and I belong is more wonderful than anything else in all creation. Solving the problem of sin and a fallen and divided humanity was a greater challenge to God's wisdom than the physical creation of the world. The wisdom needed to create DNA, buds, seeds, and planets is breathtaking. But the wisdom needed to solve the problem of a fallen humanity, a cursed world, supersedes all this. God has been pleased to demonstrate to principalities and powers the greatness of his wisdom. And the way he's chosen to do this is through Weymouth Family Church. Wow. Through his local church. We'll never stop researching the wonders of the universe. The angels will never stop researching the church. You've got to see that. You're precious to him. You're of gold. You're not just some little group. This is a church he's planted here. And it's confusing the enemy. And the enemy looks on and says, how do they put up with each other? How How's God forgiven that awful person? How's God healed that person? How's that person who's suffering still loving him, still going week on week? I can't get this. And, and the Satan and the demons look on at this manifold wisdom of God. Well, that marriage is broken up, but, but yet they're still loving each other, trying to work. it That's something special. And the demons see it and they go, what is it? This is mate. And God said, these are precious to me. Yes, they're flawed. Yes, they've broken. Do you know their past yet they're trophies? I love them. I'm never going to let them go. I'm going to keep working. And when they go away from me, I'm going to keep calling them back and keep saying, come on, I'm here. It's glorious, isn't it? This church. And therefore your last two readings, Bill Hymer says this, as the Lord of history, God is controlling all of its events not only on earth, but in all realms, to serve his purpose of bringing to maturity and eventually with enthronement with his son, not angels or archangels, but the church, his chosen bride. The whole point of this is to make a church that's going to be a beautiful bride for Jesus. And right at the end of Revelation, we have that wonderful wedding feast where, wow, God loves feasts, doesn't he? Loves celebration, wine, best food. He loves it all, doesn't he? He takes the water of your rotten old life, ordinary life, and he turns it into wine. He he makes it something beautiful. And and we're all building. What are we building towards? A nice religious service? Are we building towards a nice playing harps on them? Rubbish. We've got a new heaven and a new earth to populate. But why is it all going? It's all going to a party. That makes sense, does it? That's where we're going. People don't realize it. Oh, your glasses are gone. That's where it's going. We're all going to a party and the church is going to be married to Jesus and everyone's going to have a whale of a time. In conclusion, therefore, <laughs> are you part of God's people? Perhaps you're not a Christian today. You've never really given your life to Jesus. Do it now, urgently. Don't put it off. And if you're a person that has been coming here, get stuck in. Don't tell me you love Jesus and then go off and do your own thing. If you love Jesus, you want to express that by practically caring for your brothers and sisters. And you'll want this church here to be the best in Weymouth. Not because you want to be showing off, but because you want to show off Jesus. Because they'll come and see your weakness and your ordinariness. But they see that God is in it and they say, Wow, who is this Saviour? Amen? Let's pray. <laughs> oh Lord Jesus, we don't get it. You you chose that it would be the church who, uh, the church that you would show your manifold wisdom. Thank you, Jesus. That was the mission to change hearts and then make a people of changed hearts change the world. And Lord, I pray, Lord, for my friends here. I thank you for them. Thank you for those who've really faithfully served here, even through t- tough times and good times. And I pray, Lord, would you, by your spirit, Holy Spirit, would you catch people up now and make them realistic and say, yeah, okay, let's make this church something special for Jesus. And I pray, Lord, help us in our woundedness to know your healing. Help us to know in our failings that you don't condemn, you pick us up. Thank you, Lord, that your army is made up of normal, ordinary people who have been healed and are being healed. Make Weymouth Family Church something special, Lord, in Jesus' name, and fill this building.